When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. On Commons People this week, the President's Club scandal. Where actually what happened was that women were bought as bait. Does a minister still have questions to answer? I looked at the facts and as the facts changed, I changed my mind. Fine. David Davis on top form as usual as he updates MPs on Brexit. He's weaponising the NHS, if you like, for his own internal... Tory party games. And just what is Boris Johnson up to? All of this and more on Commons People. Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost UK's politics podcast with me, Owen Bennett. And this week I am joined by Ned Simons. Hello, Ned. Hello. I'm joined by Mr. Paul War. Hello, Paul. Hello. And Rachel Wearmouth. Hello. How are you, Rachel? I'm very well. How's yourself? I'm not too bad, thank you. Is there anyone to ask? <laughs> not too so bad. You. You're literally, before we start recording this, Owen's been moaning really about Ill. being I've got ill. this flu game out. <laughs> but anyway, for once, it's not about me, listener. Uh, let's crack on, shall we? It's been a very busy week. And uh, the President's Club, the Charitable Trust, hosted a men-only charity gala where women hostesses were allegedly sexually harassed. Uh, it was to close as a result of the revelations in the Financial Times. Uh, the charity's political links came under scrutiny and beneficiaries of the fundraising activities handed back donations. Uh, a Downing Street source has made clear Theresa May's disquiet and here she is giving her views on the matter from Davos. Well, I was frankly appalled when I read the report of this President's Club event. I thought that that sort of attitude of the objectification of women was something that was in the past that we had managed to overcome. Sadly, what that event showed is is that there is still a lot more work for us to do. It wasn't just Theresa May who wanted to make her voice heard on the issue. Here is Labour MP Jess Phillips during an urgent question in the House of Commons. Where actually what happened was that women were bought as bait for men who are rich men, not a mile from where we stand, as if that is an acceptable behaviour. It is totally unacceptable. Now, this story has got a political link in two ways. First of all, there was Education Minister uh, Nadim Zahawi, who actually went to the event, although he claimed that he left because he felt uncomfortable uh, with what was going on, although he also claimed he didn't really see what was going on, so there's a, a slightly weird situation there. Um, but there was also David Meller, who was chair of the President's Club, uh, who had to step down from the Department of Education board. This is a tricky one in many ways, because in some ways, is it a political story or is it not? Ned, what do you think? 
Well, I think it is in the sense that all things are political stories, really. Um, the Zahawi connection meant it easier, I think, for Labour to have a go, for there to be an urgent question, for them to connect it to the government. But in a, in a kind of atmosphere of sexual harassment that's been affecting Westminster and all aspects of life, I think it's definitely got, you know, a political a- angle to it. And Nadim Zahawi, are we convinced by his, uh, I made my excuses and left, comment well it's or rather is Theresa May convinced I guess the most important thing well it seems like she is so far but I think that's partly because she's in Davos Um, I'm convinced that if she wasn't in Davos and she'd had him in with her last night explaining to herself rather than the chief whip exactly the discrepancies apparent discrepancies in his story then maybe things would have been a bit tougher for him. Um, he didn't do himself any favours by changing his story, I don't think. And I certainly don't think he did himself any favours by running away. Um, you know, he, he's a front bencher in the education department. There was an urgent question, and Milton took it on behalf of the government. She was fantastic, I've got to say. And I've said this in the war zone, but I'll say it again. I think that she proved why she should be in the cabinet yesterday, uh, this week, because she was human, she was robust, she was no nonsense, but more importantly, she was across all the detail, and she won the sympathy of, of a lot of the women in the house, uh, on both sides of the house, and it's a really tricky subject. And she was just a, a pro about it. And you've got to say, when you compare that to someone like Gavin Williamson, who's never done anything, like, you just think, w- mm. w- what, what was going on and, there? And on Zahawi, you, you pointed out the fact that he, he wasn't like he wasn't there at all. He'd been there in PMQs. Yeah. He was seen in the chamber. So then actively left the Commons when there was it, a question that was essentially cowardly. about him. Yeah. I think it would have looked a bit better for him, perhaps, if he'd kind of fronted up and said, uh, you I, know. I think up. so, completely. If he, if, he was, if he was straight about his own story, why not just say it to the House of Commons? Why not? He's, he did a series of tweets where he sort of clarified his position. You don't do it on Twitter. You put out a public statement. You say what 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 happened and when. Well, Twitter is a public statement now, though, isn't it? Twitter's no, but what, why not put it? If it seemed as though he, it was a process of iteration where he was changing his story through the day, it had to be dragged out of him instead of being upfront. Look, he might well be have nothing to hide at all. But on my point is, he didn't do himself any favors. And seen behind the speaker's chair, whispering to Anne Milton and to the education secretary. <laughs> Um, Damien Hines didn't wasn't a good look. No, um, and I think there's a there's a few questions that still remain. He was there for he claims about an hour and a half um, and left when he started to feel uncomfortable. And we haven't got a definite definitive answer on exactly why he felt uncomfortable. Um, and it was also reported that he'd been to the same event previous mm-hmm. years, so he must have <laughs> known what to expect. And I think there's still no answer on that as well. So there may be a reason why he's trying to hide from the issue. Yeah, because he shouldn't have been surprised. It was not like this was the first time this kind of behaviour I expect was happening at that event. So it's weird that he thought and we yet. still don't know whether or not he arrived in a ministerial car or left in a ministerial car because number 10 was saying, well, this is all done in a private capacity, was it? So, you know, that kind of thing he could have volunteered just in sheer terms of the PR of it as much as the substance. I don't think it was well handled. And the PM didn't handle it well either. She put out a statement 10 o'clock last night upgrading her sort of annoyance saying she was appalled by this and she she said basically what she should have said in PMQs. Now I'm told she was ready to say that in PMQs but no one asked her the question. Well that begs the question. You can shoehorn that kind of thing you've into any li- question you want. a list of bat benches yeah. there you can yeah. say look if I you, mean, can you answer this and the PM will make sure they visit your constituency yeah. next week. Give them what MP asked about kind of produce from Cumbria or a constituency or whatever. Yeah, Surely you know, find time. time at or bridges point, so. in Kent. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, one of the things that really disappointed me about um, 
uh, Jess Phillips' urgent question. Um, there was only one male MP that spoke up, um, uh, Labour's Christian mm. Math- Matheson, and no, there was no one else. It was all women asking questions, and I just but thought in a that way, was a I bit thought that grim. was interesting. It may have been that the Speaker insisted on calling women, and it, it looked like there weren't many men, however, there, which is a valid point. And Chris Matheson, when he did get up, made a really powerful point. He said, look, you know, this this is about men as much as women and not just in terms of perpetrators, but men calling it out, men being on the same side. And you're right. There should It would have been nice to have seen some more men have the guts to do what Chris Matheson did. Do we think now, I mean, this this club, when you look back, it had been sort of reported about in diary columns mm-hmm. over the years. And there's been a couple of mentions. So it was on the radar of people you know about these things and I guess that a couple of years ago it was deemed to be worthy of a lads will be lads little diary piece isn't it funny what these men get up to but the the attitude has changed mm. so much hasn't it and, I mean I can almost physically feel it in Westminster now the attitude has changed the way that the people carry themselves for the better this event happened right at the height of all of that this event, this event did not happen mm. three months ago this happened was it last week yeah, yeah. it's so extraordinary this is a week ago today, the, it took t- place. the tinnedness of it all is yeah. just unbelievable, isn't it? And I think it's interesting. Some not that it was ever acceptable. I'm not no, saying it was ever acceptable, but I'm saying but that. Yeah, the and there is, there is, is tinnedness to it. And I think there has been a bit of reaction against the piece. You know, oh, this happens all the time. Why is this news? Why do the FT kind of make a big deal of this? But surely the fact that it does happen all the time, that there are so many places like this, that's the reason it matters. And the reason that, you know, you kind of do one great story exposing it is important. I didn't really understand some of the kickback against it, saying, oh, it happens all the time, what's new? It it's reminded like, well, the fact me, it's not new is the point. But it reminded me so much of the MP's expenses affair. It was the initial mm. reaction to the Telegraph exposing that was going for the wrong target. People said, oh, it's illegal. The Telegraph got illegal data. That's outrageous. But it wasn't the fact that it was illegal. That that very quickly disappeared as part of the story. It was what the data showed. And the data showed that this culture had gone on for a long time of MPs basically subsidising their what they thought were low salaries with expenses. And it, there was a cultural thing about it was accepted. No one talked about it publicly. It was accepted. It's exactly the same with this, these city clubs. And, and so far, it seems everyone's saying this is an aberration, a very unusual example of this club. I don't know how unusual it is. I mean, I don't. Going that I'm not a financier, am I? So I don't really know. But um, <laughs> no one knows about your background, Paul. <laughs> well, I guess you could trace it right back to the to the Me Too campaign, yeah. couldn't you? Because it started with the Harvey Weinstein affair, and then it moved to Westminster, and now it's moving to the city, and we're all examining again what's what is and isn't appropriate. So, and you just think, thank God for the you know Ronan Farrow exposing Harvey Weinstein and all those women who came. Forward. That really was Be- up, wasn't because it? without that. This really, let's be honest, the FT may have known for a long time that this was going on, but I bet you that reporter, when she went to the news desk and said, look, post-Weinstein, we've really got to do this now, then you get listened and the story happens. Uh, Let's see whether uh, Nadim Sahawi survives the rest of the week. He seems like he's okay at the moment, but let's see what happens. Uh, Earlier this week, Theresa May and a large number of cabinet ministers rebuked Boris Johnson. Remember him? For briefing that the NHS should get a Brexit dividend of £100 million a week. It's a slight downgrade, isn't it, from the Leave campaign of 350 million? But there we are. The Prime Minister reprimanded the Foreign Secretary during an hour long debate on the funding of the health service, telling him that discussions should remain private. Comments which were instantly reported by everyone. Um, after eight separate colleagues lined up to support the PM, Chase and Johnson failed to specify how much more cash he wanted, prompting Labour to declare he had bottled the issue and was just playing internal party games. Here is 
Shadow Health Secretary John Ashworth. I'm afraid this is all about Boris Johnson. He's not really concerned about those patients waiting on trolleys in corridors and those elderly people in the backs of ambulances in the freezing cold waiting to be treated. It's just about Boris Johnson's tedious political games. So what's this all about? Because Boris, he's done one of his wonderful things of marching people halfway up the hill and then marching them down again because it was all pre-briefed till the Sunday papers, wasn't it? In the weekend papers, Boris is going to ask this money. And then he went in there and he didn't quite ask for it because... Did, what, he lost his bottle or something? Well, I, I think he, he could obviously read the room. He's not that stupid. He could tell there was an operation going on. I mean, it's not a coincidence that eight ministers beforehand, including Liam Fox, said, look, there are ways of making your views uh, about what you're going to say to Cabinet clear, and this isn't the way to do it by pre-briefing it and you know making it look like you are the one dictating to the rest of us and laying down the law. And there was even one report where it said he would hold the floor uh, and he would, you know, he, he would hold forth on his <laughs> hundred million a week plan. Um, that he didn't really, happen. He really does think he's Winston Church, doesn't he? <laughs> he really does think. He went and seen that film, The Darkest Hour, isn't he? And he's come back thinking, I must have my uh, NHS, I will do it. <laughs> but to be fair to him, now, he cocked up, obviously, the way, the way it panned out. But in the long run, when there is more money for the NHS, as I suspect there will be next year, because one of the big bits of this development was that he bounced number 10 into announcing there will be a new spending review. The spending review, people don't really care about in terms of this bit of process of Whitehall but basically in 2015 George Osborne set a spending review for five years big big picture stuff all the departments are told exactly what they're going to spend now since then we've had a general election so at some point there was always going to be another five-year spending review but what Johnson's little operation did was he, he flushed that out of number 10 and of the treasury and basically number 10 had to tell us well yeah next spring hold on wait wait a tick next spring there's going to be a brand new spending review so we can reset all these departments and we might even have some more money for our priorities health housing and education and so in the long run when that money does come through Boris will be the one saying I told you so. I got you that. So, Rachel, really, the fact that Boris didn't bring it up, isn't, or didn't bring up the figure, sorry, isn't really the issue because he had a couple of days of headlines of Boris Johnson wants more money for the NHS. That's not a bad thing, is it? Yeah, and I guess it, it, it clouds the issue again of the, the, the bus, which is probably the worst thing to happen to him. You know, the 350 million bus, it's kind of, he sees that as a massive dent to his integrity and the one thing that would go against him with voters. And what he did do this week is just give ammunition to Jeremy Corbyn at PMQs because it was the first thing he brought up. Um, so yeah, then he spectacularly failed to have his head properly. Properly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But do you, I mean, even though it's public with, if this would be popular with the public, Ned, if Boris Johnson's got designs of being leader, the people mm. he needs to impress actually are his parliamentary colleagues yeah. and then the membership. Now, the parliament, the way the Conservative leadership works is it gets down to the final two. Mm. You need to get your, your colleagues to support mm. you on that. And if he's seen this yet again, he's done this a few times mm. now, like I said, marching people halfway up and then marching them down mm. again, not quite delivering on bringing up an actual figure. The MPs look at it and go, Boris, how can I throw my lot in with you? Yeah, I, I don't think it helps him with MPs particularly. Maybe you suspect what he's hoping is that the party, in a way is in such a bad place, MPs think, well, the only person we can have that will win us the election is Boris, because whilst we don't like him, the public There's do. There's also opinion polling so, saying we want Boris yeah, to lead. So what thing, he yeah. might be trying to do here, I suppose, perhaps, is repair his image in the amongst voters by, like Rachel says, having headlines around him saying, I want money for the NHS. And also, I mean, I wonder, how much do you, do you think it 
stings him being accused of lying with that 350 million do you think he personally cares about that I think he definitely or, personally cares about so it he feels it really keenly and that's clearly people calling a part him a liar it. i mean that's what a, a lot of the reason for this mm. he wanted to reset the sort of public and perception of that reclaim yeah. that 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 battle bus slogan saying look actually i really do believe yeah. in it and you know it's a bit like when he's accused of racism i know that he personally feels it really it cut to the quick the suggestion that <laughs> that he's a racist of course, oh, if he hadn't written in. Watermelon Smiles, yeah, you know, and, in other words, and people like uh, having machetes. It, I and find all sorts of it stuff. is the kind of late 50s white men that have are hurt the most by racism, isn't it? He's yeah, yeah. really suffering for, <laughs> the, for the things. But what's that fascinating is it also again shows that he's not a team player. The cabinet don't think he's a team player, that's for sure. But and I think ultimately that will be damaging when it comes to getting enough nominations from MPs. We saw last time in 2016 when you had to get enough nominations to get on the ballot. You know, even though Michael Gove knifed him in the back, if he'd had genuinely enough support, Michael Gove knifing him wouldn't really matter. And Michael Gove peeled off what in the end 20 MPs, and yet Boris caved because Michael Gove had, had abandoned him. That shows there's a sort of insecurity about his own numbers. He knows he hasn't got a huge number of MPs on board. He's got a loyal band of followers, but you don't you, you need more than a hundred if you're really going to have a chance in this race. Isn't this but you know Boris not a team player like his hero Churchill was accused of not being a team player. I just think Boris has got this weird. People think that Boris operates. His big plans. I'm not sure he does. I think Boris believes in, believes in the inevitability of him becoming leader and prime minister. He believes that. A, I think he sees it like a course of history is laid out, and it and it will just happen in the same way that happened to Churchill. But you know what? That's a massive disservice to Winston Churchill because he was a team player. He's got a reputation as being a guy who spoke his mind and and changed parties. Yeah, but when it push came to shove, he was the guy who really made that coalition wartime coalition work with Attlee, and. You know, he was a team player. Yeah, he was, but within the party, he wasn't. He he wasn't concerned with building up alliances and stuff. And you saw that after some forty-five onwards, he just come to the Commons, give big speeches, and go again. He wasn't around for any other debates or anything. So I think that Boris sort of. I just got this thing that I think Boris is just trying to ape Churchill. The same way that I want to be Noel Gallagher. I think Boris <laughs> wants to be Winston Churchill. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I thought he wanted to be Marquis Smith. Well, dead. <laughs> you know, I've never heard a full song. Oh my Never heard god. Of Mind you. No. Oh my god. Mm. Yeah. The only accessible one, listeners, is Mr. Pharmacist. Just Google it. Right, okay. Anyway, there you go. Right, okay, great. But, but, show my age. What this does show with Boris again and again is that he can command the media. He can get the yeah. headlines whenever he wants. So mm. who uh, who else gets to emerge as a leadership figure while Boris is in the headlines? We're all idiots, the time? aren't we? We're idiots. <laughs> but <laughs> you're right. Rachel's absolutely right. Yeah, He's the one that's got the X Factor. You know, who 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 do the public talk about? And then, you know, I'm not sure he's a Marmite character. As such, people think he's Marmite. A lot of voters really hate him, and that's true. But when it comes to some of those areas in Britain that voted Leave in Labour heartlands, you know, Labour have got to be careful of the Boris factor. I'll tell you who else has got a bit of a factor about him. David Davis. Is this leading us on to a quiz? David Davis no. this week denied <laughs> the UK will be a vassal state of the EU for two years after it leaves in March 2019. The Brexit secretary told MPs on Wednesday... The UK would have to accept new EU rules during any transition without having any say in creating them, but they could negotiate new trade deals. His admission, however, set up a tense clash with Tory MP Jacob Rees-Mogg at the ex-EU committee, who said this had very serious consequences and actually ridiculed Davis for having weak arguments. Let's have a listen to their exchange. So who's going to punish us if we get on with it now? 
Aren't we just still acting as if we are in the European Union, we're bound by the European Union, we are lackeys of no, the European Union? No, we're acting, we're acting as a law-abiding country. A bit bolder. We're acting as a law-abiding country. Mr. Rees-Mogg, I'm surprised at you. Are you of all people <laughs> suggesting we go and break the laws? Not break, it's not breaking the law. We are, we are, not, we are, not, going, we are not going to uh, break uh, those uh, undertakings, laws, commitments, call them what you want. Mr. Ned Simons, who's opposite me now, you you watched this latest yeah. episode of The League of Gentlemen. What um, <laughs> what was that about? Because Davis it's was he was particularly like aggressive. Yeah, well, he was dismissive, do- wasn't he? His 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 chuckle he likes to do whenever he gets asked a difficult question at these. He does this kind of long laugh as if it's all really easy, but it just gives him time to think of an answer. Yeah. Usually, I think the kind of two things from that that are interesting was the Reese Mogg fight I think was definitely the most instructive kind of does foreshadow the trouble they're going to have with the kind of hard Brexiteers um, you know you had Reese Mogg essentially saying this transition period is worse than EU membership because at least EU membership we have a say so the fact you've got you know the thing the government's going taking us towards you've got this big chunk of Tory MPs who think it's worse than the current situation's not good also one of Davis's answers that really made me laugh was he was asked about red lines. You know, what are red lines in negotiations? And Davis, in his sort of very scholarly way, takes his glasses off a bit and says, oh, well, of course, anyone who uses red lines in negotiations is an idiot. And about three months ago, Stuart Jackson, who's his chief of staff at the Tory conference at an event, spoke about Brexit Department's four red lines for negotiations. David Davis himself asked David Cameron to set out red lines in the Commons about Brexit negotiations. So Davis is sort of very, his casual, well, of course I know what I'm doing. He just, it doesn't tally with anything he says before. And there was also the fact that he, that Henry Benn pulled out an essay, yeah. speech, which is still on David yeah. Davis's website, yeah. saying that the UK should stay in the customs union after Brexit. Yeah. And David Davis' excuse was, I read that ages ago, and... As the facts have changed, so has yeah, my mind. But the facts haven't changed. <laughs> like, it's just he's changed his mind. Like, we're in the customs union then, and we are now. Like, he's just read something else that's changed his mind. Really, really yeah, it was, it was an extraordinary performance. Wasn't yeah. it? And the fact that the Jacob Rees Mogg thing is interesting, Paul, isn't it? Because he is chair of the European Research Group, this party within a party, as Anna Subri called it, of um, hardcore Tory MPs. We know there's about 40 people that are members, probably more actually. Um, and they had uh, Steve Baker was the chair, now Minister in the Brexit Department. Mr. Fernandes was the chair, now Minister in the Brexit Department. Jacob Rees-Mogg is now the chair. And he he wasn't looking to get a promotion, was he, when he was tearing apart David Davis there? In a, in a way, I really admired the way he did it. Because yeah. the, boy, did he tear up any kind of career prospect <laughs> taking on David Davis. Yeah. You know, it was not the way to get a PPS ship or a mm. junior ministerial ship. There's no question. He's thinking bigger than that, though, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> but he also, he's canny and he knows he's got a, a constituency. He's got a fan club. He knows a lot of the young Tories like him um, because he's in a strange way, authentic, authentically yeah. Victorian, but authentic. Um, and, you know, to his great credit, the penny has finally dropped with people like him that mm. actually, we've talked about this, they've worked <laughs> out, whoa, Theresa May changed her position from Lancaster House mm. to Florence. Because in Florence, she said, we're going to stay in on the same deal we got now. Yeah. And everyone went, whatever. And it's like, <laughs> no, she's just said, and now they're suddenly realising... They're all beginning yeah, to work out <laughs> that she really works. meant it when she said, look, maybe they will have some sort of alignment in the rules. Maybe we'll live with a bit of European sort of rule-taking for a bit, but it's worth it in the long run, which is basically David Davis's line. Um, and I've got to say, if you're Reese Mogg, you can... That is really powerful. His argument is, 
look, this transition period will be the worst of all worlds, will be a vassal state, is his phrase. And if you're a Brexiter, there's no question, a lot of people out there will say, yeah, what was, we thought we'd voted to get control over immigration, to stop the funding going and run control over our own laws. What is this all about? However, the government is crossing its fingers thinking people will just be so relieved when it comes to mm. April 2019 and all this and all the bunting goes out and the fireworks go up we're finally our independent nation and even if things don't re- if things don't if <laughs> things don't ridiculous. actually change on the ground that doesn't really matter because the big picture is we're out and i think that they're hoping that people will just sort of go there's, with that there was two more things in that session i thought with the resmog thing which was so interesting the first was that he was he said i think that why not just extend Article 50. Why not imagine Rhys Morgan, people like them, saying that a year ago? They would have. They would have been the ones, kind of. You know, well, they've made had a good response to that. Didn't need to be fair. Which is, if we extend yeah. Article Fifty, we can't negotiate our own yeah, trade deals. Yeah. And Jacob Rees-Mogg said, "Sod that. Let's just do it let's anyway." Do it anyway. <laughs> and, the, and the other thing was um, just the. I totally forgot what I was going to say. Hold on, before you tell us your other thing there, <laughs> Rachel, what, what was your impressions of watching? Because I think you took a look at it as well. Uh, yeah. Uh, what really struck me is it was just. Um, He's just coming across as really just contemptuous <laughs> to, to all sides. You know, he's becoming a bit of a Marmite character, I think. I was just wondering if he, had, he still has ambitions for the, for the leadership because he came across quite badly, I thought. He chewed you know. his pen a lot, didn't he? There's a lot mm. of chewing going on from David Davis. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, then again, you know, the, earlier this week, you had the former Goldman Sachs economist, former minister, Jim O'Neill, no, Lord O'Neill, saying, look, in the long run, you know, the global growth is helping Britain, despite Brexit. He used that awful phrase that Brexiteers hate. But basically he was saying that, you know, the world economy is doing so well, even if, and this is really important, even if there was a no-deal scenario, that would cost us, the economy, $3 billion. It would take $3 billion out of the economy for several years. That would be, he quotes, dwarfed by the way the, the, the global economy is actually doing well. So if you're a Brexiteer, if you're a, we keep calling them the hardliners. We shouldn't call them hardliners. Mm. They're, they're basically people who are true to their principles, like Rees Mogg. If you're on that side of the argument, a lot of voters are, want to get out now, then they might say, yeah, well, sod this. We don't want the soft Brexit. Let's just get out now on our own terms. It will take a hit in the short term, but in the long run, even the economists are now saying it won't harm us. And I've got to say, you keep, I keep coming back to the view that actually, that it's true, you can't have your cake and eat it. So either... You go for a hard Brexit, a full-out Brexit, or you stay in some sort of EFTA arrangement. There is no middle way. There is no, there's no such thing as a soft mm. Brexit. And maybe we should just give people like Jacob Rees-Mogg credit for saying, actually, it's nonsense, this idea of a soft Brexit. The only true scenario is staying in or being totally out. Yeah, and just the other thing that Rees-Mogg got Davis on was he said in this kind of two-year transition period, which Rees-Mogg says is a vassal state, the EU will just bring in loads of regulations and rules that will apply to the UK and we can't influence them. And Davis's reasoning for why that wouldn't happen was, oh, the EU just takes ages to, to implement its rules. It takes them 22 months, and the transition period is 21 months, so we're totally fine. And Rees-Mogg made the point, well, they'll have quite a good incentive to do things a bit quicker if they know there's a deadline coming up. So, as we said earlier on, David Davis has said that he's changed his mind on a few things in the past few years. But I wonder if he's changed his mind on his Desert Island Discs selection oh. from 2009. I feel a quiz God. coming Yeah, on. there is a quiz coming. I'll tell you this. Listen to the Desert Island Discs he does. It is really interesting about his backstory. But anyway, let's move on. I'm going to give you a couple of <laughs> choice of songs now. And you tell me whether uh, these are, um, whether you pick them or not. Right. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah, didn't yeah. Think, I didn't think of a pun. 
this isn't as bad as I thought. So, okay. David Davis picked... How about Desert Island or Boris Island? Fine. No. Desert Island or Boris Island. What? Desert so Island Desert... is DD. Yeah. Boris Island is not DD. Yeah. Okay. okay. Which one of these songs did he pick? Material Girl by Madonna or Get the Party Started by Pink? What, 2009 was this? Yeah. He picked Material Girl, I reckon. I don't say Material yeah, Girl. Yeah, I think that's Desert Island. I think that's. I think he picked Madonna because it's, it's quite a good Tory anthem in a way. Mm, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know. I'm going to go for... Uh, Boris, Boris Island, yeah. So you think it was? Which one you think it was? Get the party started. <laughs> yes. You see, this is why it doesn't work with the thing, is it? Yeah. Right. It is get the party started by. Pink. Oh, really? Did he really? He that one, yeah. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm <laughs> truly shocked. Don't, truly I'm just, I'm shocked. Believe me, that's the most gets, shocked I've been. It gets a lot worse. Did he pick the Jurassic Park theme by John Williams, or the theme to Schindler's List by John Williams? Oh my God! Oh. Bearing in mind, these are songs you're going really to listen to, listen to this on a desert, desert island, now. right? Um, uh, I feel like more should be made of this during the I referendum and this general right. election. I'm going to say it's Schindler's List right. because I don't think if it the other way round, you would have picked Schindler's List as yeah. like the other one. <laughs> no, you're trying to get in my head, getting David Davis's yeah. head. I'm going to say Jurassic Park partly because it's it's kind of uplifting theme, whereas Schindler's List really isn't. I'm going to go Schindler's List. It is Schindler's List. Aww. Is, and good logic, Ned. Um, Over My Shoulder by Mike and the Mechanics <laughs> or Brothers in Arms by Dire Straits. Oh. Brothers in Arms. He's such a that, Brothers in Arms guy. He's a, guy. Very in he's arms a guy. Dire Straits. You can just tell. If I'm wrong Who's about Mondeo? this, I'll buy you a Kit Kat. Oh. But uh, he, he, David Davis <laughs> just screams Dire Straits. You're right, it is Dire Straits. You yes! You, you can imagine him listening to Brothers in Arms as he gets off the plane in Brussels to go through the negotiation, <laughs> can't you? Just sort of uh, <laughs> Sledgehammer by Peter Gabriel Ooh. or Ooh. Another Day in Paradise by Phil Collins. <laughs> Sledgehammer. Collins. got to be Peter Gabriel. Isn't Sledgehammer the one that's got a domestic violence sort of undercurrent? Am I, I wrong? I, I don't know. I'm not. Th- he wouldn't have noticed that. No, so you can actually. I, I, I'm going to go for Sledgehammer because that again is his era. Uh, no, it's another day in paradise oh, by Phil Collins. I mean, how I'm is this wrong. man in power? This is atrocious. And finally, reasons not to be an idiot by Frank Turner, or stealing my democracy by Mundy Turner. Uh, <laughs> Bear in mind, he picked one of those songs. Second one, surely. That's, stealing my democracy. That's, that's him, isn't it? The first one. Whatever the, the first one. Reasons not to be yeah, an idiot. Yeah. No, it was stealing oh. my democracy. That oh, was that's a list written. By a politician. It's a weird for list. For Desert Island. But he wrote it. it. He, uh, 2009 was when he was completely, you know, he was the maverick and he was, wasn't anywhere near the front bench. I recommend you go and listen to it because it is, it is absolutely I can't wild. believe he picked Amazing. Pink. Yeah, why Pink? did he yeah, pick Pink? Like, what were his reasons? He has got kids, that. to be fair, that, that yeah, would, I think it's would have informed that. him. But, um, yeah, madness. I mean, I feel like that would have had madness a big effect. Well. No, madness <laughs> on it. I feel like that would have had a bigger Nutty boy, David Davis. On the referendum, if we'd have known about the fact that he wanted to be on a desert island with Another than Paradise by Phil Collins. Anyway, Sledgehammer. That's so you didn't no, choose didn't Sledgehammer. Choose no. You know, for my, I think for my school art project, I, I did a, a pencil drawing of the cover of Sledgehammer, the album cover. There's another little bit of. No, only came out, came in, out in like '85. Inside, yeah, '84, '85, '85. No, very funny. <laughs> I'm getting funny. sacked, aren't I? Right, thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, also check out, we did a special earlier on this week with Mr. Matt Ford, which came out earlier this week. That was good fun. Me and Kate had a chat with him, and he does an excellent, excellent, excellent Gordon Brown impression. Doesn't he, Bo? Absolutely. Bo's our sound. Billions of, of Fantastic. Impressions. Anyway, uh, see you next week, everyone. Bye. Bye.